Stand by to the floor in five, four, three, two, one. Coming to you live from the rich heartland of Altamont Springs, Florida, it's The Vic Show with Victor Bowers, brought to you by Super Channel WACX-TV. Take it away! Yes, we're back! Hello, welcome to The Vic Show. Look what I brought back. <gasps> ah, yes. Oh, let's see. Um, music. Ooh, no, that's the wrong button. Hold on. Anyway, I'm Victor Bowers. Welcome to the Vic Show. No more blazer. No more blazer? Yes. No more blazer for now. For now. For now. How are you, Vic Show fans and followers and viewers of Super Channel? WACX TV, I'm Victor Bowers. And I feel a bit of a ring in my microphone here and gonna adjust the knobs as we go along and bring you the Vic Show. Yes, the Vic Show. Yes, come on. Come on. We're listening to some Slavonic dances by Dvorak. More music you've probably never heard of before. What's a Slavonic dance? It's a dance of the Slavic people back in the 19th century. Yes, now it's called the Czech Republic. Anyway, Eastern know Europe, huh? You don't know the moves? I don't know the moves of this dance. I know this is the ending, though, and you bow at the end. Right, there's a big symbol crash, and that says, stop the music. And so, oh, let it go on. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, Dvorak, by the way, since I'm on a musical thing, I'm a music nerd, violin player, and all that, and um, so I'm sharing some of my music with you. It's beautiful music, classical music. This is written by Dvorak, Antonin Dvorak, who is a 19th century composer. He was a believer, he was a Christian, he was a strong believer, and he was from the Czech Republic, which is Eastern Europe, and um, he came to America to teach, and he wrote one of the most famous compositions. You may not know it, but you know the main theme from the second movement. Anyway, it's called the New World Symphony. And the second movement uh, is so beautiful. And its, its theme has been used in love songs and commercials. And if, I, if we were to play it, you would recognize it. It's really beautiful. But he wrote a whole bunch of other stuff. And he wrote a whole bunch of Slavonic dances, which are the m native dances of his country. And... Uh, so that's just a little bit music history here on the Vic Show. Thank you. Oh, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> How are you, Diane? Good, good. good. And Terry? I'm wonderful, thank you. Oh, there you are behind the big machine. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, there you are. Right. And who's in the control room, Rick? Rick and um, Arente and Nathan back there. Oh, hello. Yes, hello, hello. Million Dollar Smiles. Yeah. Yes. Day. Hopefully our switcher won't blow up today. Come on. Come on. We've been praying. We've been praying. We've been praying. And um, do y'all hear Echo and me, or is that just me? Mm -hmm. Testing one, two, three. No. Testing one, no Echo? Okay, sounds good. Maybe it's in my head. Maybe, maybe there's a screw loose in my head. <laughs> and I'm echoing. And... Um, 
I like that, Nathan. That's good. And uh, we're always tweaking the music here, here on the Vic Show. So anyway, and yeah, we had a switcher issue last week, and so we're just, you know, this is live. When we do this, is a live production, and it's, it, it's important to me uh, to do live TV if we can, and because that's fresh, it's invigorating, and it's where the, to me, it's where the energy's at. And, uh, you know, at the beginning of the Vic Show, when we started this little project, it wasn't meant to last this long. It was just meant as, as an endeavor uh, in 2020, in the middle of the lockdown. Y'all remember that? Mm-hmm. A year and a half ago? And it was just, the world didn't know what was going on. And I turned on the TV, I would turn on the TV, and uh, it would just be all newscasts, you know? And uh, talking about despair and racial uh, strife and sickness and death and just fear of the unknown. And when COVID was hitting, you remember, we all remember that, you know, we're still toiling with that. And, um, and so I thought, you know, we need to go on live TV and share not bad news, but good news, which is the gospel, good news. And that's what we're still doing it. So our switcher, though, um, it's been a good machine, but we're having to figure some things out. And so hopefully we won't go to color bars in the middle of the program today. So just be in prayer with us that we'll make it through to the other side. What a great segue to the other side. Look at that. that. I didn't even try. I I didn't plan that. I didn't plan that camera move. That's right. To the other side. Right. So, um, yeah, part of the fun. And I was talking to some people at church, and they were they were talking about the show, and they're very friendly and say nice things mostly. And um, I said, "Do you like the blazer?" Because I started wearing some blazers. And they're like, "No, we don't like the blazer. It looks too stuffy." Blah blah blah. blah. So I said, "Fine, no more blazer." Back to my onesies. They Back to my yoga pants. No, I'm not wearing. I'm not going to wear yoga pants either. Um, but back to comfortable clothes because it's not about the outfit. It's about the word. And the word made flesh at a particular point in time named Jesus. You've heard of him. Yes. And uh, he's what we're all talking about in some fashion or the other. That's what it's all about. It's about God. The good news. You say, Victor, what's the good news? Well, the great good news, there's many forms of good news in the scripture, but the greatest is that God has come and he's come to save us as us and uh, to give us a life, to give us the life, to give you the life he destined for you to have. God has a life planned for you, hand created for you, for you, for you, for you, hand created for you. It's on offer. And he has, he has breached the gap. There used to be a break between God and man, between heaven and earth, and it's painful, and we all experience it. But in Christ, which is what Jesus filled out in his humanity, Jesus became the Christ. When we say Christ, it was the one, it was a mysterious, um, in the Old Testament, it's not named directly. But it's, it's pointed to all over the place. 
the Christ is the second person, as we'd say, of the Trinity, the one who is the enfleshment of the thoughts of God. God had the thoughts, he spoke the word, and the earth came forth. Speaking the word is Christ in action, Christ giving form to God's thoughts. And then Jesus comes along and, and takes and shifts that, shifts that concept, which was a concept in ancient Judaism through their religion and religious practices. He, he personifies it. And he now introduces God as Father. He brings in a dynamic of relationship to God. God's no longer a force or an entity that's mysterious and ambiguous and shows up in thunder claps and rainstorms and plagues and it's all, you know, God kind of gets a bad rap in the Old Testament as being angry and, and you know, and, and thorny and meh. And there's a big story to that. So don't jump to conclusions. But Jesus came telling us that God is love, not hate. He's love. And love is passionate. And love is ferocious in what it loves. It's protective. But it also wants the best for the beloved, which is you. And in all that, Jesus came to show us the Father's love and to invite us into the Father's love in Himself. He said, this relationship I have with my Father, Father God, I want to invite you, my, as my brothers and sisters, into this same relationship, and I'm going to make the way. I'm going to be the path to bring you back to your Father, Father God, for all humanity. Salvation has been for all humanity. Christ saved the world and those in it in the past, in the present, and the future. In eternity. That's what eternity is. Past, present, and future. That salvation has already been accomplished. That's the good news. That's the good news. Heaven and earth are once again reconnected in Christ, in a person. A person that we can relate to. I can't relate to a God that's way up there and ambiguous. I can try just like the ancient Jews tried, as hard as they could, but it didn't work, it's, because it's impossible. But that's the best they had. They were learning, God was using learning stages as we read about the Old Testament. Anyway, so Jesus comes and says, here you go, boys, I'm gonna make the way, and I'm gonna give you all the benefit. I'm gonna do the heavy lifting, you join my yoke, I'll, pu I'll pull the load, you just come along for the ride. That's what Jesus says when he says, My yoke is easy, my burden is light. A yoke is a harness that would house two animals. And two animals, like two oxen, would try to pull a heavy load together using one yoke so that the combined efforts of two beasts would be exponentially greater in the yoke. The yoke exponentially increases the power of the two beasts. But Jesus says, Join my yoke, meaning get a yoke is not front and back. A yoke is side by side. So Jesus says, join me in my yoke because I'm doing all the pulling and you're just coming along for the ride. But we're doing it together. Both are, bo we're both there. We're both in this yoke together. But I'm pulling everything and you're just walking along beside me. J my yoke is easy. My burden is light. That's what that means. It's great. It's good news. Okay. Other side. Any other... That was a long intro. That's good. 
Oh, my heavens. Okay. I got to finish this series because I keep Jesus on the water walking constantly. He's got to get off that water and into that boat. Okay. So, let's go to the Word. And it's found in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus walking on the water. This account is mentioned in three of the Gospels. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And three of them, all four Gospels mention the feeding of the 5,000. And then three of the Gospels mention this story, which happens right after the feeding of the 5,000. And um, Jesus has just fed 5,000 men plus women and children. So thousands of people have been fed. And before we go to Matthew, there's a little bit of clip in John. Nathan, if you can put that up. Uh, Jesus finishes his sermon and feeds the 5,000. And then the 5,000 realize this guy is amazing. He can, he can feed us. They want to make him king. The fr- there was a great frustration in Israel at this time. They were greatly oppressed. And they had been looking for their Messiah for hundreds of years, as the prophets had been telling them. And Jesus comes along and starts checking all the boxes of what their prophet is to be, according to their scriptures. And there's, and there's a lot of eyes on Jesus at this point in his ministry. And people are saying, I think he's the one, because he's checking all the boxes of what our Messiah should do and be. And today he's fed us. Today he's fed us. Not only he's fed us with a good Sunday school lesson, but he's fed us food. They look back and realize, this guy, where'd this food come from? And they want, and John and all the Gospels who relate this story to us tell them they want, they, uh, excuse me, John tells us that they want to make him king by force. Okay. After the people, yes, all rise for the reading of the word. After the people, unless you're driving, after the people saw the signs Jesus performed, meaning the feeding, they began to say to themselves, surely this is the prophet who is to come, see they were expecting somebody, into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, that's the key word, make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So John lays out this account of the transition between the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on the water. He lays it out with this clue that, that Matthew doesn't tell us. What's the takeaway for this? Matthew tells us Jesus constrained them and put the disciples into a boat and sent them on to the other side. And the reason he did is because John tells us that this crowd is wanting to come and make Jesus their king by force. They are wanting to come and do something that Jesus was going to be their king, but he wasn't going to be the king they were looking for. He wasn't going to be the Messiah they had in mind. He was their Messiah. He was their Messiah, but they, the Messiah they wanted was a Messiah who would be a mighty warrior and would be great and would be a know-it-all and would, would exercise right-handed power and give the Romans a black eye and push out the evil in the temple and cleanse the temple. He would be a freedom fighter. He would be almost a terrorist. You know, a lot of the terrorism that goes on that has gone on in the past several years have been from people who are very zealous religious people. 
wanting to cleanse the, wor- the world of defilement. If you look at some of the, the mandates and um, the philosophies of, of terrorist groups, they really have a lot of good ideas. They want to rid the world of defilement. They want to make the world a pure place. So they're seeking to kill the infidel to make the world a better place and to bring about the end of times according to how they see it religiously. That's what this crowd is wanting to do. They wanted Jesus to be a religious leader who would come in and set the world right and give black eyes to people who were doing bad things and to return to Israel the glory it once had under David and Solomon. That's the kind of king they wanted. They wanted a king who was going to clean house and clean house royally. And that was not God's plan. Jesus first came as king to serve. He came as a king not to succeed by living a perfect life, even though he did, but he came, Jesus' success first as king was in dying, not in living. Jesus succeeded first as king by being a king who dies. By being a king who does nothing but hang on a cross and then die. And in that is the foolishness of God that's greater than the wisdom of men, Paul says. That in the foolishness of hanging on a cross, doing nothing except hanging shamelessly and dying, he saves the world. Come on. It's almost like a big joke. Doing nothing but dying, and yet that's the salvation that the world needs. A death. But the world couldn't understand it. The world still doesn't get it. We want to conquer and we want to take over. We want to rule the world. We're going to storm the capital and we're going to rule the world because that will make everything right. No, that's not how you do it sometimes. Anyway, they wanted to make him king by force, but he wasn't going to have it. And there was a mob mentality. It was about to become another January 6th where the mob took over and, and where the mob would become almost demonized and a lot of bad things would happen. And Jesus was, that's the same thing that was about to happen. And Jesus said, no. So Jesus put his disciples on a boat and for their protection, sent them out. Okay, now let's go to Matthew. Now that you have all that background. So Matthew tells us, and straight away, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. This is what I've been telling you. This is why he did this. He constrained his disciples saying, boys, get in the boat and leave the situation because I got to take care of this mob, but I don't want you part of it. You'll get caught up in the windstorm. You'll get caught up in the January 6th fiasco, and I don't want that. So get in the boat and leave, and I'll meet you on the other side. That's what he says. So he can... So he can diffuse the energy and bring the crowd back and dismiss them peace, 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 peaceably. Okay, so and go and so the, he puts the disciples in a boat to go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. Okay, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone praying to his father. And the boat by this time was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves, because the wind was against it. The wind was, the boat was in the middle of a lake. The Sea of Galilee is about seven miles across. 
Mark tells us the boat was in the middle of the lake. So it was about three and a half miles in the middle of a lake at night with a, with a storm. That's a scary place to be. I've been on Lake Harris, which is in Lake County. It's a huge lake. But I've been on Lake Harris in September in the middle of the lake when a storm came up, a violent summer storm, and our, and our motor went out. And it was a scary situation. It was scary, scary. I mean, we thought, we honest, I mean, the waves were like the sea. It was black with rain. Hell, hell. I mean, it was hell on Lake Harris. It was one of those typical Florida summer storms that come out between four and six. You know what I'm talking about? If you've been here, they're violent. Sometimes you can't even drive through them. You got to just pull off. We were in a boat in the middle of Lake Harris, my family, my entire family, in a big pontoon boat, a big, you know, boat with a big boat. Just trust me, it was a boat. And it got scary. And I thought, this is probably what the disciples were experiencing. Of course, they were at night. Anyway, a scary situation. And the boat was in the middle of the lake, and they had been toiling for hours. And in the fourth watch of the night, around 3 a.m., so the disciples had been in the middle of the lake since nightfall, about six or seven hours prior. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. I love it. Okay. Walking on the sea. Next. Any more? And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out in fear. Why did they cry out in fear? There was ancient tradition, even, even up until recent times. It was a tradition within seafaring um, people, who, people who lived on the sea, that if you were in a storm at sea and you saw a ghost approaching the boat, which probably would have been a hallucination. But if you saw a ghost in ancient times, they weren't as sophisticated, perhaps, you know, as we know now. Or, anyway, if you saw a ghost approaching your boat, walking on the ocean, it was the ghost of death. And it was a sign of imminent demise. So when the disciples cried out in fear because they thought they saw a spirit walking on the water, this is what Matthew is alluding to. The disciples were thinking they were seeing this ghost, this phantom of death walking towards them on the water, which was a sign, according to tradition and legend, that death was imminent. That's why they cried out in fear. You know, you know how we are today. We have superstitions. We have things that we, you think you see, or the lottery numbers come up a certain way, or if the, if the wrong person wins the election, you think horrible things are going to happen. There's a lot of that today. Back then, it was if you were a sea, if you're on the sea and a storm came up and you saw a ghost approaching your boat, which is most likely a hallucination. Still, in your mind, it was real. In your mind, it was real. That's why they cried out in fear. They, saw, they thought they saw the ghost of death approaching them, according to their tradition and the legend of the time. Okay, so they cried out in fear. But what did Jesus do? I love this. But straight away, Jesus spoke unto them. They thought it was a ghost of death. But ghosts of death don't speak affirming peaceful words. Jesus called them to faith, not fear. No ghost of death is going to call you to faith. Jesus spoke. He didn't remain silent like a big joke. He knew they were distressed. He knew they thought he was a ghost. They knew he thought he knew, excuse me, he knew they thought he was this ghost of death. So he spoke out. 
be of good cheer. Hey, cheer up. I'm no ghost of death like you think, like your tradition tells, tells you. It is I. One of the great I am statements. It is I. This harkens back to when Moses asked God's name and God said, I am that I am. Come on. Come on. This is what Jesus is saying. They don't get it because they're so seized in fear. But he said, be of good cheer. He could say a thousand different things like, hey, boy. He said, cheer up. Hey, it is I. It's me. You remember me, Jesus? The one you've been living with for a couple years, protecting you and feeding you and, and, and cleaning up your messes? It's me. It is I. The great I am. Be not afraid. He tells them twice. Cheer up. Don't be afraid. Cheer up. Don't be afraid. That's my word to you at this moment. Cheer up. Don't be afraid. Show enough. Seek first. Show enough. I'm glad it's finally showing up. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first. Why seek first? Because otherwise you're going to live in worry and fear. In Matthew 6.33, which, which is that scripture, seek first the kingdom of God. Before 6.33 and after Matthew 6.33, it's, it's Jesus imploring us to don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God takes care of the birds. God takes care of the flowers. How much more is he going to take care of you? You're his primary creation. He loves you the best. And then afterwards, Jesus ends it by saying, and don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow is going to have headaches and you'll deal with them tomorrow. But today, seek me first. That's what he's saying here. Be of good cheer. Cheer up. It is I. God is on the scene, walking on the water. Jesus could have appeared in the boat. Je Jesus could have prayed, calmed the ocean, and the he met them on the other side like he said he was going to do. But no, Jesus... Because he's the perfect father. He walked to them in the middle of their storm. He walked to them. Before he fixed the problem, he came to them. Before God fixes your problem, he's going to come to you and console you in the pain. Right on. He's going to console you in the pain and use the pain to build you into the stronger person he has in mind. He will even use the pain of your life to make you stronger. What you think is going to destroy you is not going to destroy you, my friend. This is a word from the Lord. That fresh, the, what you think is going to destroy you is not. If you think it is, it has become your God. You need to get your eyes back on the right God. It is I. This is God talking to you, my friend, right now through this mouth. This is not Victor talking. This is the word of the Lord coming. Be of good cheer. It is I. God's on the scene. That is a statement that says God's on the scene. Be not afraid. Be of good cheer. Cheer up. God is on the scene. Well, why isn't the scene peaceful and calm and quiet? Because God is using the turmoil and the trouble and the water. God's using your pain. God using the bad mistake you made. He's going to use it to your benefit. Hey, but he's not going to clean it up first. He wants you to see him. So he's going he's to come out of your pain, walking on your pain, walking on your trouble, walking on the storm. He's going to march right up and say, hey, cheer up. Jazz hands. I'm here. It is I. God's on the scene. God, who is your brother. Paul calls Jesus our elder brother. And Jesus is also God incarnate. Oh, my God. Yeah, Jesus, God incarnate, God in the flesh, is our elder brother. 
He's like, hey, younger bro. Hey, sis, I'm here. Your elder brother who's done everything and given it to you. Cheer up. I know there's problems. I know it's raining. I know you're sun drenched and worn out and wet. Cheer up. Don't be afraid. I'm here. He'll use the pain to grow you and to make you into the person he has in mind for you to be. With God, all things are possible. Listen, be sure.